down this morning as you sit down, I invite you to turn to Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 31. And uh, as you turn to Acts chapter 4, verses 1 to 31, we're going to talk about prayer this morning. And what we are going to do is talk about the fact that there are some prayers that we pray that are not truly finished until we act on them. Uh, there are prayers that we pray that require us to wait in faith. And then there are prayers that require us to act in faith. And as one book I recently read on prayer said, some prayers are just not truly finished until they are amened by our faith-filled actions. Uh, now, that's obviously not true of all prayer. Uh, prayers of silence, where we're offering our jumbled selves to Jesus. Meditative prayers, where we're reflecting on something in the Bible or Jesus' character. Uh, prayers for forgiveness from Christ. Prayers for peace. Uh, those are all prayers that are completed by our waiting for Jesus to act, to bring clarity, to bring wisdom, to bring assurance, or to bring peace. Uh, but it's important that we not treat all prayers that way. When we pray for God to help us study or to help us be patient, to help us take a Sabbath, to help us attend worship, help us pray more regularly, to help us share the gospel, to help us to give forgiveness, to help us be courageous, uh, prayers like those are not prayers of waiting. Uh, they are prayers of working. They're prayers of action. They are requests to join Jesus as we faithfully act these things out for him in his name. And the reason I'm bringing all this up is because in our passage this morning, we have a prayer for faith-filled action in a context of life-threatening danger. What we're going to see this morning is the apostles Peter and John are brought into mortal danger because of their witness to Jesus. And their response after they're freed is prayer for the Father to help them continue talking about Jesus with boldness in the face of grave danger. And you're going to see that not only does the Lord respond to that prayer with the assurance of his blessing and his presence, you're also going to see the apostles go out there and faithfully act out their prayer to talk about Jesus. Uh, they amen their prayer for bold witness by their faith-filled actions. And I want to focus on this because as a church, uh, we pray for Jesus to help us bring people to the gospel. Uh, just like as a church, we pray for Jesus to help us pray more, help us give forgiveness more freely, help us take regular Sabbaths. Uh, we, we pray for help. And it's important for us to see that the way Jesus honors his people when we go out and try to perform these actions, uh, we have asked Jesus to help us perform is always faithfully. It's important for us to see this. And, and I want to do this so that we can grow as a people of prayer who can have the joy of praying for help and then acting in faith that Jesus will in fact help us as we've asked him to. That's part of what it means to be a people of prayer. People who experience the joy of Christ's faithfulness as we go out and respond to the things that we have prayed for Jesus to do. Uh, I'm, I'm sure we're all thinking of times maybe when we've prayed for Jesus to help, but then didn't take any actions. Uh, so this is something we all need to grow in. Uh, so let's grow in it by reading Acts 4, verses 1 through 31, and then we'll reflect on first the threat, second the prayer and the assurance, and then finally the faith-filled amen. So Acts chapter 4, starting in the first 
verse. This picks up uh, kind of overlapping a little bit with where we ended last Sunday. Let's hear God's word. And as they were speaking, that's Peter and John, to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas and the high priest Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in their midst, they inquired, By what power, by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is no salvation, or excuse me, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in his name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and prayed, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why do the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continue to speak the word of God with boldness. Thus far, the reading of what can only be God's own word. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word, which you have given us to uh, instruct us in 
your character and in your ways and in the ways in which we can trust you to honor our prayers and to be with us and to bless us as we bear witness to Christ. Uh, Father, we very much want to leave here as a people who trust you to say yes to our requests to be uh, faithful to your scriptures. Uh, but Lord, we know that our faith in you will not grow unless your Holy Spirit uh, blesses uh, your word to us and uh, grows it in us. And so, Father, we pray that you would give us now, through your Spirit, ears to hear, minds to understand, and hearts to believe your word, as, long, as well as humility, for we know that no one can understand or receive your word without humility. Father, may the words of my mouth as your preacher, and may the meditation of all our hearts as those called to hear and respond to your word, may it all now be pleasing in your sight. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, the first thing I want us to think about is the threat that Peter and John faced. So just as a, a reminder, as we looked at last week, Peter and John were going into the temple to pray there with uh, some of the saints when a man who was crippled from birth asked them for alms, that is charity, to help them. But rather than give this man money, they acted in faith that Jesus had a place in his kingdom for this man and that he could indeed fit him into the kingdom. So they healed him in the name of Christ and welcomed him into their lives and into the church's prayer time. And this man was so overwhelmed with these gifts of healing and belonging and hospitality that he clung, clings to Peter and John and he's weeping for joy. He's full of gratitude at what Jesus has done for him. And uh, his joyful weeping and leaping and praising God, it draws a crowd. And Peter then takes that opportunity to preach about Jesus and he calls the crowd to put their faith in Jesus, to uh, repent to him, and to join Jesus in his purpose of bringing the blessings of God's kingdom into the lives of those around them by giving them the person of Christ and a place in their kingdom as well as a purpose for their lives. That's what we talked about last Sunday. And just as Peter finishes his sermon, we're told in verses 1 through 3 of chapter 4 that, and I'm going to read it again, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. Now, here's what you need to know. The captain of the temple is the commander of the soldiers who arrested Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And the Sadducees and the priests and the scribes, who are mentioned in verse 5, are the ones who persuaded the crowds and ultimately Pilate to release Barabbas and crucify Jesus. Uh, if you go back and look at the crucifixion stories in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you might be surprised to find that while Jesus' main opponents throughout the gospel, his conversation partners, if you will, uh, was mostly the Pharisees, that the Pharisees are actually not the ones who plotted to put Jesus to death or who orchestrated his murder. That was the Sadducees and the priests and the scribes. So this is a bad start, but it gets worse because we're told in verse 5, on the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, Annas the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John and Alexander, and all who are of the high priestly family. If you were to go home and read John chapter 18, you would learn that Annas and Caiaphas are the ones who personally arranged for Jesus' arrest and murder. 
So when Peter and John are brought before this group in the morning, they are brought face to face with the same people who arrested Jesus in the garden. Peter is brought face to face with the captain of the soldier whose ear he cut off uh, that night Jesus was betrayed. And they are surrounded by those who have proven that they are willing to lie and murder to get what they want, which is to silence Jesus and his message and his kingdom. Uh, so this is not uh, some argument on social media where mean people say mean things behind the safety of a screen. Uh, this isn't even a, a public face-to-face -face disagreement or argument where you have to you know, handle difficult emotions coming at you or that are arising from within you. Uh, this is standing in front of people who have literally plotted and committed the murder of your friend and the rightful king of Israel just a few months earlier. Uh, so while our text doesn't tell us this here, we can assume based on their rule of life up to this point, that is the way that they structured their days and lived their lives, that they spent the evening praying to Jesus for help. And Jesus does help. Uh, remember, Jesus promised. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or about what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. And as we're told in verse 8, Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit while he spoke to them, and he bears witness to Jesus. Jesus healed this man, Peter says. Uh, the same Jesus that you all murdered, which is quite a thing to say to the people who are literally murderers. Uh, and that same Jesus has been raised from the dead, and the one that you rejected has become the very foundation of, of the temple of God on earth, the cornerstone of salvation, the thing without which there is no walls that stand, the only name under heaven where when we call on Jesus, heaven, that is God himself, must save us. It's such a powerful sentence. The only name under heaven by which we must be saved. When you call on Jesus, heaven itself must respond with saving grace. Now, I want to point something else here, out here, uh, having kind of just reviewed his amazing, powerful sermon. Peter did not have to be faithful to Jesus when he answered them. He could have denied Jesus like he did the last time when he was surrounded by them in Jesus' trial. You might remember the servant girl. Peter is not even in front of these murderers. He's outside in the courtyard, and he's scared of their servant. Uh, he could have apologized for bothering them. He could have begged them for mercy and promised to go away. Go away. He could have said, no, you've got it all wrong. You don't understand. You're confused. That's not what I said. Peter is not superhuman, and neither is John. Uh, they are like us. They are standing, surrounded by violent, calculating murderers. But they give wise, courageous, faithful, Jesus-centered Answers. Why? Because they prayed. Because they had been praying up to this point. And because I'm confident that they prayed that evening in jail. They must have. Uh, they've been praying to Christ since the moment he ascended into heaven for help to bear witness to him. They've been praying privately and regularly. They've been praying corporately with the church every day. And later on in Acts, as we'll see, uh, that they, along with the rest of the disciples, are also always praying when they're in jail. They continue that rule of life, that rule of uh, living, even when they're in 
prison. And Jesus honors that prayer and all the prayers that they have prayed to be his witnesses up to this point as Peter is speaking. And I think the best way of reading the text here is to understand that this filling of the Spirit happens at the moment when Peter opens his mouth to reply. In other words, uh, Peter makes the decision to act on his request to help Jesus. And Jesus honors that prayer as he promised he would. And he gives him the words to say. And as a result, they're released. And, and I just want to point out the irony of the story here. The same crowds that were used by the Sadducees and the priests to kill Jesus are now used by Jesus to save Peter and John. <laughs> Isn't that a profound turn of events that the Lord orchestrated? Uh, but notice in verse 21 that before they let them go, they threatened them. Uh, these are not idle threats, right? These are not blowhards who talk a big game but are really just full of wind. This is a mafia crime family, and they're telling you it would be a shame if something happened to you. Actually, it's not even that. It's, you come into our neighborhood again, we're going to break your kneecaps. That's the kind of people you're dealing with. Uh, and that leads us to our second point, which is the prayer and the assurance. So we're told in verse 23, uh, when they were released... They went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. Uh, now, the way many people have read this throughout church history is that uh, when Peter and John told what happened, they were jumping for joy. Guys, guess what? People want to murder us because of Jesus. Isn't that great? Oh, no way. That's so awesome. Let's go thank God that we might be gruesomely killed. Uh that, that is not the way to think of it. Don't think of it that way. Uh, persecution is something Jesus actually commands his people to flee. So like if you have an, a vision of sort of persecution as something Christians should seek or that they were like, yay, this is the best thing ever, that is not the vision Jesus himself gave. Uh, don't think of it that way. When we read things like the apostles uh, rejoice that they were judged worthy to suffer for Jesus, like we're going to in a few chapters, don't think of them as laughing and jumping around. Uh, when Jesus went to the cross, the Bible tells us that he had joy in what he did while he wept tears of blood. So the joy that Jesus reflects on in terms of being able to suffer to help other people know him is not this sort of happy, clappy, yay, hooray, let's be glad that we get to be hurt kind of joy. We're going to talk about that more in the future. But instead of thinking of it like that, look at what Peter and John did. They went and they told their friends. I think that's interesting. They didn't go to the, to the church as a whole. They didn't go to their prayer group that they met with regularly, their growth group. Uh, they didn't even go to all the apostles. Uh, not that those would have been bad places, but they went first to their friends, uh, meaning they went to the Christians that they trusted the most to understand what had happened, who they felt the deepest connections to in their life. And in, and in the congregation of Christ. Uh, and you know this feeling. When something happens, whether it's good or bad, isn't there a group of people that you just have to tell it to? Uh, and those are most often your friends. They go to their friends, and they tell them about the threats. And then their friends invite them into prayer with them. That's verse 24. And when they heard it, that is the report, they lifted their voices together to God. And by the way, that word translated as together 
is the same word translated as one accord earlier in Acts, one person, unity. Uh, this is the word we've been talking about uh, over and over in these chapters. They join together as one person with one heart, one goal, which asked Jesus to help them be faithful. Uh, and so real quick, let's, let's look at what they asked Jesus to do. Let's go through the prayer quickly. Uh, when they pray, the first thing they do is they entrust themselves to God's sovereign power. And kids, sovereignty is a word that maybe you don't know. Uh, sovereignty means the power a king has to do what he wants in his kingdom. Now, God rules over everything, right? So when the Bible says that God is sovereign, it means that God can do whatever he wants with everything because he rules over everything. Uh, so when they pray in verse 24, sovereign Lord who made the heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them, they're just saying, Father, we know that you are in charge of everything. And you've made everything good in your wisdom. You've set the boundaries and the limits and the times and the seasons of everything. They're just praying Genesis 1 and 2 and really many of the Psalms back to God. They're summarizing just a whole theology of God's rule over creation in these first few lines. Uh, but as they're thinking about this uh, about, and about their own place in the world right now and the danger they're in, they remember Psalm 2 which talks about how God's sovereignty is not endangered by the plots of earthly rulers or earthly powers because nothing they do can keep Jesus from ruling the world the way that he wants to. And they remember that they've seen God be faithful to that word in the way that he used the evil of Herod and Pilate and the Gentile nation of Rome and even the people of Israel like the Sadducees and the Pharisees and Caiaphas to save us from our sins. God was able to take up their evil plots and use it redemptively for his people. Right? All of these rulers and all of these powers who wanted in their own way to stop Jesus from being king and to have salvation come in a different way in a different person they plotted and they schemed, but the king of the world, in his sovereignty, used their evil plots to bring Jesus to the cross so that he could die for us and rise again for us and bring us into heaven by sending his spirit to us. That's just verses 25 through 27, which I'm going to read again because I think they're so powerful. Who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Predestined just means God's sovereign power to order events in time however he wants them to be ordered. Now from there, from this prayer of God's sovereignty and reflection of how God even used evil actions to bring about redemption, we, we might expect them to ask, for, ask God to just kill them, right? Like you're in charge. God, kill the Sadducees, dethrone Pilate. Uh, we might even expect them, maybe we don't expect them to 
uh, want God to end their life, but maybe on a more sort of godly note, we would uh, expect them to pray that uh, they would repent so that I'm not in danger, right? I'm assuming they did pray pray for their repentance, uh, though that prayer isn't recorded here. Uh, But instead, they move from a confession of faith in God's sovereignty to a request that God uses sovereign power to help them be faithful witnesses to Jesus. That's verses 29 and 30. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Uh, Father, help us speak faithfully in the face of death, they pray, while you keep expanding your kingdom in the face of their dangers. And then Jesus does something which is incredibly powerful that maybe we're a little envious of. He responds by shaking the room that they're in. Uh, And that was obviously a sign that he is with them. Uh, Now, Jesus doesn't do this all the time, which is maybe why we're a little envious of this. Like sometimes it would be nice if God would give just a little shake after a prayer, a little little, little candle light, something would happen. Uh, but given who they're up against, this kind of action seems very fitting. They're, these are the people who you watched murder Jesus. That is a unique opponent, right? And God meets that unique opponent with a truly unique sign of his presence. In other words, Jesus gives them courage and assurance. He says, I am king, I am here, I am with you, I will bless you. And then Jesus again fills them with the Holy Spirit. And when God says he fills them with the Holy Spirit, that doesn't mean they were filled suddenly with miraculous powers. In Acts, being filled with the Spirit means being given the words to talk to people about Jesus. Have you ever found yourself in a difficult situation and right before you talk, uh, you pray, maybe something as simple as Jesus, help? And then you start talking and the words you're saying are obviously the right words and they conform the bible and they are directing people to jesus Uh, that's what it means to be filled with the holy spirit if you've ever experienced that you've experienced what it means to be filled with the holy spirit and by the way that's why paul can tell the church frequently in his letters to be filled with the holy spirit he means ask jesus to help you talk about him and ask jesus to help you live for him, to reflect him, and then go out and talk about him and live for him, and you'll experience the Spirit blessing your witness, and you'll experience the Spirit blessing your life. And on that note, I want to move to our final point, which is by focusing on the fact that these Christians then went out and they spoke the Word of God with boldness. Uh, They amend their prayer for help with faith-filled actions. They went out and they spoke about Jesus, even though it was hard and dangerous, uh, and they faced a danger that none of us in this room have ever faced. I'm fairly confident. Uh, I've never experienced that, and praise God for that. If you and I never experienced this kind of threat, that would be great. That would, that would be really excellent. Uh, but I want us to see, uh, what I want us to see is that the Apostles' Prayer wasn't really completed until they lived out their amen. If they had prayed for boldness and then stayed locked in their rooms, or if they had prayed for boldness and then refused to talk to people outside of the church, their prayer would have, by uh, necessity, gone unanswered. In fact, I would say that their prayer wasn't even really 
finished and could not be finished until they went out and attempted in the name of Jesus to put into practice what they had asked God to help them do. And in that light, my friends, to bring this to a close, uh, when we pray for things like patience, uh, do we then go out and attempt to act patiently? Uh, When we pray for help to observe a Sabbath rest, do we go out and attempt to actually rest from our labors as we rest in Jesus? Uh, When we pray for God to use his sovereign power to help us love our enemies or to pursue justice or to listen with empathy and compassion, do we go out and then try to do those things? Or is it like, Lord, help me to love my enemy. I don't think we have a George in this room. George. And then uh, you're like, boy, I hope I don't get to see him today. I don't want to talk to him today. And uh, actually, I think I'm going to go on Facebook and I'm going to write a mean thing about him today. Like those are not compatible actions. Or do we say, Lord, help me to love my neighbor, George. I'm going to go out and I'm going to start with hello. And we'll see what happens from there. And then finally, as a church that prays for conversions and for people to come to faith in Christ and to be fit into the kingdom of God, are our prayers for that as a church amen by invitations to come to church or to growth group or to other events that we have? Are our prayers amen by taking actual actions to help people know that they fit here in the kingdom of God? Uh, Beloved, what we see here is that when we ask for God to help us live faithfully according to his word, and when we take faithful actions to do so, he is faithful. He amens our live amen with his spirit's presence and power. And so let's help each other finish our prayers for help by actually trying to practice the things we're asking Jesus to help us with so that together we can grow in the assurance that he hears our prayers and responds to them uh, faithfully and powerfully. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for hearing our prayers. Uh, Forgive us for the times when we have asked for your help but did not act in faith that you would actually help us. Uh, Thank you for your mercy, which once again invites us to ask that you would help us to act in faith that you hear our prayers. Uh, Please help us to share the gospel. Uh, Help us to devote ourselves to private prayer and to corporate prayer. Help us to devote ourselves to corporate worship and to sacrificial hospitality. Uh, Help us to love our neighbors and to forgive those who have sinned against us. Uh, Father, we want to know and experience the power of your grace, and we want the world to to know and experience it as well. And so we thank you for making the prayers and the faithful actions of your people a way that you accomplish both, and not because you needed to, but because you have chosen in your kindness to allow us to participate uh, and to walk with you as you build your kingdom. Thank you for doing this all and for hearing our prayers in Christ's name. Amen.